end of the service, there's no real ready trip. I'm just, I'm just going to go. So at the end of the service last week, I said that Jesus gave us the secret. That's what I said. I said Jesus gave us the secret to how to actually resist the schemes of the devil, all of it. I said he gave us a secret. And it's not really a secret because he said it in the Bible. He gave us the strategy of what we're supposed to do to have the characteristics of eternity. Jesus said it. So we're going to start right there. All right? No fluff, no nothing. Let's start right with what Jesus said. And let's look at the strategy that he laid out for how we're to think about heaven, how, why we're to put eternity first, resist the schemes of the devil, all of it. Here's what he said. In Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19, from the Savior's own words, here's what he said. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. These are his own words. He says something similar in Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16 to 22. Here's what he said to the rich young ruler. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Let me say, keep the commandments, right? Then he said, he said to him, Which ones? It's a good question. There's 10, like which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That would have been enough for the average person to be like, man, I'm, I, yeah, I'm not sure if I can do all of that. Is there like a, like a, a cheat code, you know? Is there a brevity? And the young, but the young man said, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus didn't say, no, you haven't. He said, if you will be perfect, which means mature, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, Jesus said, treasures in heaven. Focus on that. He said something similar in Luke 12. Verses 32 to 34, he said this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And he repeats what he said in Matthew 6, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is what Jesus is coming from Jesus. If I don't explain anything at all, he seems to be saying, you need to be thinking about heaven and rewards in heaven instead of on earth. This is backwards for us. Colossians, this isn't Jesus, but Paul. Paul says this in Colossians 3. Listen to the logic here. He's talking to a certain group of people. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, so if you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, and that's the language, it's figurative language, you've been raised with Christ, like he was raised from the dead, you've been raised from the dead, 
of your transgressions and sins. He said, if you've been raised with Christ, then he said, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. So here is God's strategy. is to think about getting rewards in heaven. To actually look forward to it. This is the strategy. In fact, Jesus connects what we value to our hearts. Put up Matthew 6, 21 again. Look what Jesus says. He connects what we value. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we approach this from a different angle, we could say our hearts aren't in heaven because we don't value it enough to see it as treasure. Our hearts are here. Our treasures are here. This morning when I was praying to the Lord, I heard this voice. This is just for me. It may be for some of you. And I heard this voice. And I laughed and then I didn't. Then I was like, oh, I think you're being serious. I just heard this thought. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not in Amazon. Now that does not mean that you cannot give your pastors Amazon gift cards and things like that. That's not what the Lord was saying. He didn't say y'all can't. He said me. So lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not, not treasures on Amazon. What would he say to you? Where are your treasures? Where do you lay up your treasures? A lot of our treasures are here. They were right here on stage. These are our treasures. This is what we treasure, and that's beautiful. But do you realize that? Well, let me ask you this question. We've all know the story of Job, right? Have you ever asked yourself, why didn't God apologize for taking his children, all those things from Job. Why didn't he apologize for that? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Really wondered, why did God just say, who are you? Were you there when I built this and when I did this and when I made this? Why doesn't God apologize for all he took from Job? And here's the answer. Because none of it belonged to Job. It all belonged to God. Job couldn't get any of those things unless God gave them to him. And Job understood that. Those weren't treasures that belonged to him. They were treasures that God gave him. But what belongs to you is an eternity. Jesus is saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying we should be looking forward to receiving rewards from eternity. And this is the other problem with the grace versus works dichotomy where we have this idea that works that earn is somehow unbiblical. I think that's actually unbiblical. There is an earning on some level. There are two ways that grace is opposed to earning. The first we heard last week, right? Between the Mosaic law and Jesus. We got to remember, whenever you read the Bible, especially the Gospels and all the stuff that's being said in the letters after that, in the New Testament, they are writing to a cultural context. There are few books in the Bible that it's speaking to just wherever. Usually that's the wisdom literature. 
Now, the Bible transcends culture, but it's written to a particular cultural context. So when they're talking about works and not earning things, they're not just talking about the random person. They're talking about transitioning from thinking obedience to the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments and stuff, is what earns you heaven versus faith in Jesus Christ. So when they're bringing this up, when Paul's writing about this, or John or Peter, he's thinking culturally, contextually, don't worry, the law of Moses doesn't exist anymore. Now that Jesus has come, that's the standard. It's the law of Christ. We get that. Grace is opposed to earning between the Mosaic law and the law of Christ. Grace is also opposed to earning and being invited to salvation. It's opposed to it. Here's Ephesians 2. We saw this last week, right? Ephesians 2, 89. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we don't get invited to believe in Jesus and are given faith to believe in Jesus because of something that we've done. God isn't looking down like, hey, he's killing it. Let's save him. Let's get her too. Look, she's, man, look at her. She's holding it down. That's not what happens. In that sense, works do not earn us anything. But do we earn anything? Absolutely. At the end of the Supernatural Storyline of the Bible series, I said that we have to understand that salvation is a spectrum, right? There's a tension. A lot of us are trying to resolve tensions and dismiss them because they're making us uncomfortable. So we have these dumb conversations like one saved, all we saved. Is that an issue? Yes, one saved, believe until you leave, right? The Bible teaches there's a tension there. Salvation, being saved, there's a tension, right? Salvation is a spectrum. Faith in Christ puts you on that spectrum. Romans 10, verse 9 through 11. Here's what it says. Here's how you get on the spectrum of salvation, which is, you know, evidently heaven. He says this, because, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who calls on him will not be put to shame. In this spectrum of salvation, we are not saved because we've done some obedience to God. It's by faith. We have faith. It's a gift of God, and we confess, and it says we're saved. So if you have confessed that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are allowed to say, I'm saved. But salvation is a spectrum where faith in Christ puts you on that spectrum, but obedience keeps you on that spectrum. There's no such thing as I made a profession of faith, and then that's it. Let me prove it to you because some people are uncomfortable right now. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, there's plenty of verses, but let's just start with this one. Now, I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. I hear you back there, brother. Come on up. <laughs> Share the scriptures. I don't mind stepping down. I talk too much anyway. He said, now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. 
right? So that's a process. Being saved. You're being saved. It's a process. It's a journey. And here's how, and he proves it by saying this. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. I don't care if you grow up in a church, if your dad's a pastor or whatever. You made a profession of faith, you got baptized, excited. You're on the faith spectrum, salvation spectrum. But obedience keeps you on that spectrum. He's saying here, look, of which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Salvation in heaven is initiated by God. But obedience is how we RSVP. Response, s'il vous plaît. So RSVP means that's French. I know some French. I'm gangster. <laughs> I took French. It's a spectrum. Salvation is a spectrum. Right? So is works. Works is a spectrum. There's a spectrum. All right? Now, in the Bible, the context of works is the law of Moses, Ten Commandments, and so forth, law of Christ. Mosaic law, works, cannot earn you. You cannot be justified. God will not look at you and say, welcome to heaven. This is what the predominant narrative of the book of Romans is about. Romans 3.20, here's what he says. This is one end of the spectrum. This is the one end, the part that you can't have these works by itself. He says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Justified means declared not guilty. Everyone in this room is guilty. The only reason why you will be declared not guilty is faith in Jesus Christ. And then works that prove that you actually believe that. There's only one person that I know of in scripture that showed no works. Thief on the cross. He couldn't. He couldn't get baptized. He couldn't do anything. That narrative is about the grace of God extending to bring someone into salvation. It's not the normative for when God saves a person that you do nothing and then you die. Those works can't earn you salvation. Romans 4, 1 through 6, Paul says this. What shall we say? What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. Now to the one who works, his wages are counted not as a gift, but as his due. So if you work for something, it's like, you got to pay me for what I did. And he said, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, so one who doesn't say, I have character, obedience, personality, and this is why I'm. So that person says, I just put my faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one who justifies the ungodly. He said, his faith is counted as righteous, righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from work. On one side of the spectrum, your works 
cannot save you. But it's a spectrum. That word works. It's not one size fits all. It's a spectrum. On one side, you can't be saved by your works. But on the other side, without works, you can't be saved. Let's go back to what we saw last week, James 2, verses 21 to 24, using the same character. This is why there was a discrepancy between in the early, when they were trying to figure out what books do we put in the Bible and what not. They weren't sure about James because of this passage right here. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? They're like, wait a minute, he was justified by faith. But remember, remember the angel said, Abraham, Abraham. Don't kill him. Now I know that you believe. Remember that? Well, I thought he believed in Genesis 15, 6. But he was tested in Genesis 21. And said, no, your faith came with works because the one thing that I promised you, I told you, let me take from you. And you said, okay, I trust you. My faith is enough that I believe that not only if you take him, you'll bring him back because Abraham told his servants, me and the boy will be back. He says this, you see that his faith, in verse 22 of James 2, you see that his faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, Abraham didn't just believe, is what James is saying. It wasn't like he heard what God said and was like, I believe. You're, okay, that's righteousness. It was when it was tested if he believed, he had works. This is what James is saying. There are people who believe but don't have works. You be in church chilling, laughing, cutting up on your phone, falling asleep. Do it. Do it. Got excuses for everything. Don't go to no group. Don't do nothing. Holly read, Holly pray. And want God to be like, welcome home. I don't know if he's going to say that. Without works, no one can be saved on this side. Works can't save you on this side. So what's happening here? Works is a spectrum. One passage proves this. One passage, three verses, proves the spectrum. Crazy that God does this. It says one thing and the next verse almost says another. Let's go to Ephesians 2 again, verses 8 through 10. Here's what he says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Spectrum. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Works can't save you. It's by faith that you've been saved, by grace. But you got to work. And to prove that, we are his workmanship. You know what workmanship means? Poyema is the Greek word. It means creation. Anything made, done. So we are created. We are his work created to work. But works don't save us, but we are saved to work. Works don't save us, but we're saved to work. Works is a spectrum. So how do we process this? Because it's confusing. Here's a spectrum in more plainer English. Works without Christ to works because of Christ. That's the, that's the spectrum. 
a lot of people want to be good people. I don't know any major world religions that don't have some degree of works in them. But it's works without Christ to works because of Christ. So here's the question how you can know what's happening. Here's a question you should ask yourself. I ask myself is why are you working? Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you don't do the things that you don't do? Why are you working? What's the answer to the question? Because if you have works, obedience, character, but no faith in Christ, it doesn't earn you anything. So why do you work? Well, the almighty Allah, nope. Why do you work? Well, because my parents raised me to be, nope. Why do you work? Because I want to be a good person in society. Nope. Those are works without Christ. God says, nope. Doesn't matter how good the answer sounds. But works, obe works obedience, with faith in Christ, that's a different ballgame. It's a different ballgame. So you can have faith in Christ and no works. Now you're on the spectrum of salvation. But faith in Christ that works to the end proves you're actually on that spectrum. And then Jesus says, and those works, because you believe in Christ, are rewarded. And you should be excited about that. This is very interesting because this is the opposite of how many of us think. It's the opposite of how many of us think. Why is obedience rewarded? Why does he reward obedience? Why is he telling us this over and over and over and over? We're going to see more verses. Why is he telling us this? Why is obedience rewarded? Remember what he said to Thomas. John 20, verses 24 to 27. Remember what he said? He said, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands with the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into the side, I will never believe. Now, here's what's interesting about him saying this, right? Thomas was not there when Jesus died. He wasn't there. The only disciple that was there was John. It was John and three women. It was John, Mary Magdalene, Mary, Jesus' mom, and, and Mary, the son of the mother of James and Joseph. There was no other disciples there. So Thomas believed. How would he know that he had marks in his hands marks on, and, and something on the side? He was told that and believed that by the same people. He was told he wasn't there. He didn't see it. But now he said, I won't believe it until I see it, right? Verse 26. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And he says, oh, you see because you believe. 
but blessed are those who believe but who do not see me in person. They don't have the luxury to put their finger in the holes and their arms, their hands on the side where the spear went. They're the ones who are blessed. You have it easy because I appear to you. Here's what God sees when we obey. He sees that we do it in faith, not sight, because we are seeing as believers, all right? He sees that we do things in faith because we believe that it honors him. He sees that we make daily decisions based on faith in a God that we have not seen, who often does things that we're not expecting and sometimes don't even like. It could be challenging for us to trust him. He sees that we still believe even though we experience heartache, disappointment, loss, suffering. He sees that. He sees that we still serve him when we're tired. He sees that we still believe even though people who don't believe seem to have better lives than us. All the popular people, all the beautiful people, all the people who got money and all that, who have all the things that, we, that you and I would love to have because it would change our lives dramatically, none of those people, most of them do not profess to believe and many of them will not because a lot of things that we want God to do, money solves. So if you have money, you don't need God to do this, to take care of this. You can just pay for it. He sees that you're tired and you're struggling and don't want to pray, but you still do it that you're debating whether or not you should come to church because you're just not feeling it. And you come, and then he meets you. There's a song, or the message hits there. He sees that. He sees when no one else is around you and you're struggling, but you say, I'm not going to do this because I want to honor the Lord. And we've never seen this dude. People don't hear from the Lord audibly like that. Most people don't ever hear from the Lord audibly. And he says, I see that. They're doing that in faith and obeying me because they trust that I'm real. So I'm going to reward that. He rewards that. And so Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven. But we have to understand works is a spectrum. Last week we heard grace works. And that's true. It's not works versus grace. Biblically speaking, it's grace works. But we must remember that grace works to reward. If you're a Christian in this room, raise your hand. Okay. Good, you can put your hand down. I mean, if you're really excited, you can keep it up. I'm not going to be bothered by it. <laughs> if you want fire for the Lord, as they say, keep that arm up. The angels will hold it up when it gets tired. I still hate that phrase. That's just me. You don't got don't, you don't, you to be like me in all things. Do you realize that rewards in heaven are part of your identity in Christ? Do you realize that? Do you realize that receiving rewards is part of your identity if you're a genuine believer? This is crazy because people be like, well, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable like doing things to get rewards from God. I know a lot of people who say that. People in this room have said that. I've said that before. I don't. 
But receiving rewards is a part of your identity if you're a Christian. Romans 8, beginning of verse 12 to 17. Listen to what he says here. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are called sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It says we're heirs. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. Listen to the language. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that he revealed in the last time. Do you know what it means to be an heir? An heir, the Greek word pleronomos. It means designated holder, possessor of an estate, one who receives, one who comes into possession of, a receiver, an heir. I know. <laughs> Definitions that use the word in the definition. I think that's sinful. But that's just me. I'm legalistic. Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Believer, do you know who you are? We are possessors of an estate. We are one who receives and one who is coming into the possession of. We're co-heirs with Christ. So we get some of what he got. Receiving rewards is part of our identity in Christ. But many believers are not motivated by that at all, have not trained themselves to, I don't want to receive anything from God. I don't want to, I don't want to, I just want to do that. I don't want to, I'm not doing it for rewards from him. That sounds humble, but it's actually arrogance. Because what we're saying is we don't like or agree with a part of my identity in Christ. What a brilliant scheme of the devil. Many of us, almost all of us, are insufficiently motivated. We're not properly motivated because we're not even thinking about getting rewards in heaven. Our treasures are here. So the obedience and the sacrifice of not giving in, of putting away sin, of doing things because of the Lord, our treasures are here. Scheme of the devil. You know another scheme? This might shock some of you. Biblically speaking, 
Heaven is the bare minimum. Biblically speaking, heaven is the bare minimum. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3, beginning of verse 10 through 15. Listen to this picture that Paul paints. Here's what he says, beginning of verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. So what is he saying? God's going to test the work of his people. But this isn't a salvation passage. It's a rewards passage because it says in verse 15, if he suffers loss, he himself will be saved. It only, it only is through fire. So if you don't get any rewards in heaven and you made it to heaven, good for you, but it's the bare minimum. The thief on the cross got to heaven. Didn't do anything. But just say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Look at 2 John 1.8. says this, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Win a full reward. That means it's possible to not get the full reward. So don't lose what you work for. See the connection? You're working to get a reward. We're not supposed to just get to heaven. We're supposed to get there and receive rewards for what we did on earth. I cannot prove this because the Bible doesn't say this directly, but I think some of the sadness in heaven will be some believers will just make it solely by the grace of God. But the works they did on earth were selfish, selfish ambition, were not of the Lord. They were claiming things that were not of the Lord. And the Lord was like, that wasn't of me. That was motivated by self. No rewards, but you made it to heaven. Whether we like it or not, Christianity is very much like an incentive-based faith. Like NFL, like sports contracts. They have incentives. We hear these contracts, oh, five years, $60 million. But we don't hear the details, yeah, but you get a bonus if you get this many sacks. You get this much, a bonus if you win the Super Bowl. You get this much if you get this many points, if you do incentives. Christianity is very much incentive-based faith. There are rewards, and that Jesus in the New Testament is screaming, pay attention to them. Be motivated by them. You are not humble and godly by thinking, I don't want to receive rewards. You are calling what God says good evil and calling what God says is evil good. It is a satanic way to respond because this is what the Bible is saying. Remember the Beatitudes? 
This is why I love the Lord, the wordplay. They call it Beatitudes. Be attitudes. Attitudes that you should be. The Lord got balls. And he liked my album, by the way, he told me. Listen to, the, listen to the attitudes that you should be. Poor in spirit, kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. It's an attitude, mourning. Be comforted. Blessed are the meek. It's an attitude that you should be. Receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful. It's an attitude that you should be. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. These are all attitudes that we should be and rewards are attached directly to them. Brothers and sisters, we have been so robbed of one of the greatest motivating factors for our obedience. It's told to us by God himself that many of us are at best uncomfortable with and at worst don't believe it should be an emphasis. And it's unbiblical. God says, I saved you to work so you can work. I plan on rewarding you. And you know why that makes grace more amazing? Because you wouldn't do the works if he didn't give you the faith and the grace to be saved. You wouldn't do them unless his spirit was in you, giving you the desire to do them. And then God's going to say, now let me give you rewards for stuff that you wouldn't have done unless I did it in you. That's what makes grace amazing. But when it's like, no, I don't want to get no reward from the Lord. That dishonors the Lord. Because you're a co-heir. You are a part of his inheritance. Don't forget, Jesus earned rewards for dying on the cross. People think, well, wait, remember back when I did Romans, it was like, wait a minute, Pastor, wait a minute now. Jesus ain't, because we think of God as pre-incarnate, Jesus is the one who, but the, the one at the eternity past, he hadn't become a human being and died on the cross yet. So he had glory then, but because he made the decision to humble himself and become a human being, God says, we're going to bless that. Let me prove this to you. Some of you still think I'm lying. I'm telling you, you guys be judging your pastors all the time. <laughs> Philippians 2, look at verse 5. Popular pastor, listen, listen to the logic. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. So think like this because this is what Jesus was like. This is how you're supposed to think. This is what he's saying in verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, right? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he was fully God. But he didn't stay, he didn't allow himself to access what he could because he was like, I got to be a human being. So I'm going to actually do stuff like go to sleep, use the bathroom, eat, be tired. I mean, Jesus was a baby, he had to be potty trained. Now, it might have been real easy for Mary to do it because he was a, <laughs> but he had to do it. <laughs> it was all of that. That bread that Satan tempted him was probably what he got for rewards for potty training. Scripture doesn't say that. We don't know. But he became a real human being and said, I have access. I created everything. I'm God. But now let me become like one of them. Now, I'm not going to give away my abilities because I can't. I'm God. I can't ever not be me, but I will not allow myself. I'll only access a small percentage of it just to demonstrate who I am. Jesus could have been walking around like a transfiguration all day. Well, he did. He only did that one time with Peter, James, and John. What they say today, he glowed up. 
Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, therefore always means because of what I just said, because of that, or as a result of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. He didn't have this name before he died. He didn't have it. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The pre-incarnate Son of God that Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1 talks about is him, but he wasn't Jesus in human form who humbled himself, dying, leaving glory to become a human being. And because he did that, despite the glory that he had prior to the cross, rewarded with something greater by dying on the cross. And so we believe in him and we're co-heirs. We get a piece of what he did because we're imitating Jesus, dying on the cross of our own glory, our own definition of good and evil. The rewards of grace are for the obedience to grace. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? Where is it really? Don't just say in the Lord because everybody says that. Where is it really? Is it too difficult to say, I'm going to do this because it honors the Lord? And there are some areas where we all have them, and it's like, yeah, that's real. But we are commanded, not suggested, but commanded by God himself to think about heaven, put eternity first, because the rewards there are better than the rewards here. This is a thing to God. So how do we do that? How do we practically do that? Because most of us in here want to do that. Let me give you four things to consider. Some of you may do these, and if you do, keep going. Four things to consider. First, you've got to renew your minds that it's okay to be motivated by rewards for obedience. Many of us just don't think like that. It's a foreign concept to us because we've been trained to think that we don't earn anything from God, which I believe stems more from the grace versus works dichotomy that I think is not a modern dichotomy. It was a first century obedience transition. The reality is we do earn rewards for God for obedience in his life. Let's just blitzkrieg what he said to the seven churches in Revelation. Right? Revelation 2.7. Here's what he said. Hear who has an, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said to the churches. To the one who conquers, right, who obeys to the end, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's a reward. Revelation 2.11 to the church of Smyrna. He says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, 
will not be hurt by the second death. That's Revelation 20:15, the lake of burning sulfur. So the one who conquers doesn't have to worry about that. Just about everybody's going to die once. But only those who believe in Christ are not going to die twice. The church in Pergamon, Revelation 21, 2, 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. It's rewards. He put this in his word. I'm not making this stuff up. Thyatira, Revelation 2, 26 to 28. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, remember, here is workmanship, who keeps my works until the end, doesn't mean who never struggles with them, but continues in them until he takes his last breath, until she takes her last breath. His works are all over the New Testament. And some of us aren't really tripping off of those works. We think we can just kind of do whatever and then we're good because there's no immediate consequences. I assure you, grace is not that amazing. It's not. Hell is a real place for people who think grace is that amazing. It says, the one who conquers and keeps my works to the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken pieces, even I myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. It's a crazy crazy gifts. Jesus be right on Christmas, right? <laughs> the church in Sardis, Revelation 3, 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot out, blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. You know what's interesting? There are multiple times where God says I will blot out the name. You know what that means? There are some names that were in the book of life that he blotted out. There are some names that were in the book of life. He said, I blotted out because of the way that you lived. You were here. I took you out. And on the judgment day, some people are going to find out you were in the book of life. But here's what you did. I blotted you out. Depart from me. Church in Philadelphia. Not your Philadelphia, brother. <laughs> the real Philadelphia. Revelation 3.12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. This is what he's saying. Church in Laodicea, Revelation 3.21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. You talk about a real, that's a carnival ride right there. <laughs> you sit on the throne up with Jesus. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. It is biblical to be motivated by receiving eternal rewards. And it is unbiblical to think you shouldn't be motivated by that. <laughs> you should have been motivated and like that come out, brother. I didn't know what that was. The spirit, then I, then I realized, oh, that was a sneeze. I'm just kidding. Sort of. 
Three ways is the second way. The first way is you've got to renew your mind that it's biblical to receive rewards from heaven. It's not humble to think not. This is all, I didn't even touch this. I just scratched the surface of this idea. This is all over the New Testament. And some of us are just not even motivated by that. But we can be motivated by that. Here's some practical ways to do that. Here's how we can put eternity first. We can be more biblical. Let me explain what I mean. A lot of us love to pray, and it's fantastic that we do. But there are times we don't know what to pray, we're not sure to pray, all that stuff, right? We don't feel like praying, it's hard to pray, all of it, right? A lot of us love to pray. Some of us, remember when Jesus said, look, when you pray, don't be like the Gentiles who heap up a lot of words and think by, by doing that that they're heard, the Father knows what you need before you ask it. Some of us pray like that. We pray too much. And what I mean is I don't mean you can pray too much. I mean we talk too much when we pray. Sometimes we're just saying stuff just to say it. And Jesus was very succinct, and he said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, and we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know what you do? Take this prayer and take a week and just pray one stanza of it. Just to renew your mind, to let me think. It's like right now, I'm just like, you know what, Lord? Hallowed be your name. And I'm just praying. Hallowed is to be set apart be sanctified. So it's like, Lord, I'm just going to focus on the next couple days. Hallowed be your name. And then I'll move into your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then I'll move into give us this day our daily bread. Then I'll hit. Make prayers about what he prayed about. Pray back this and just slow down. Pick a stanza and just soak in it. Soak in it. Because all of us could use a dose of, man, we want to see his name hollowed right now. I'm not just talking about in the culture, but in our lives, right? We need to learn how to pray things that are, and stay put, just hold on for a second. Just pray that one sentence for a couple days. Renew your mind in it. That'll help you think, this is an eternal, this is a prayer about eternity. This is a prayer about heaven. About what's happening in heaven and wanting to see it on earth. It's amazing if we slow down and just pray according to this. It's just helping us to become more heavenly minded. Another thing we should do, well, you, you can do this. This is just an idea. It's a principle. Many of us, when it comes to obedience, right, we've heard of put off and put on. But we still get very confused about that. So let me give you a practical Suggestion. You can do it if you don't, if you want to. Make your obedience more biblical in this sense. Attach the areas that you're focusing on to fruits of the spirit. Like actually do things because this is the fruit of the spirit. This is the reason why I'm doing this. Or this is the beatitude I'm after. So I'll just be transparent. Here are my three right now. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So there are times I'm like, man, I want to do this, but I'm like, you know what? This, doesn't, this is not self-control. This is not self-control. I'm not going to do this because I want to be self-controlled. Well, you know what? I'm going to do this because I want to be faithful, Lord. This is why I'm doing this. Connect what you do to a fruit of the spirit or a beatitude. I want to grow in being pure in heart and mourning. 
So I'm trying to actively think about things that I mourn my own sin. I mourn the sin of the nation. I mourn the, the suffering and the challenges in our church. I want to grow. Don't just obey. Don't just be like, all right, I'm going to just stop watching Netflix. I'm going to stop doing this. Why are you going to stop doing that? Connect it to a specific fruit of the spirit or a beatitude so that you know why you're doing it, so that your works are not disconnected. They're not just a New Year's resolution, but they're actually, I'm not going to do this because I won't, I want, I'm trying to grow in this fruit of the spirit. Or I'm going to do this to do that. Connect it to what God has said. Don't just stop doing something or start doing something, but place it in a category and be, be, be simplistic. Don't be like, all right, I got seven things I'm trying to grow in. Yeah, right. You'll grow in seven things for seven minutes. Pick two, three things, and just be realistic about yourself and be like, you know what? Okay, here the, talk to someone that you know that cares about you. Hey, what do you think I should grow in? What fruits of the spirit do you think I need to grow in? Because we all think we have a lot of them. So just be like, ask somebody who's honest. Hey, what fruit of the spirit do you think I should grow in? You know, you might be surprised. And if you get mad, then that's the fruit of the spirit. The Lord, that's, the, that's what the Lord wants you to grow in. If they get mad, then say to them, what fruit of the spirit is that? I ask myself that all the time. Or the Lord, I feel like I ask me that often. Attach focus to a particular, I'm telling you, it changes things. Now you're not just obeying just to do something. Now you're like, this is why I'm doing this. And this is connect, and it reminds you, I'm trying to honor the Lord. This is how we grow. Make it be more biblical. Otherwise, it's just, all right, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And then when it's Friday night and you're bored, you end up wanting to do that. Because it's not attached to anything, but just something that you got convicted on Sunday, decided to do something, and then by Thursday, you ain't really sure if you want to do it. Grace, grace. We had this conversation in, in the Supernatural Storyline of the Bible group on last Wednesday, uh, the core group. And we were talking about grace versus works. And it was interesting, and we're going to delve into this later. But what I thought was interesting is when we talked about, like, what is grace versus works, it got to the point where a lot of people in the group were like, okay, grace is, we were trying to get real, like, poetic, biblical with it, right? But when we were applying it, like it was unmerited favor, it was all these things, right? The stuff that we just hear all the time. But when we were applying it, we were applying grace like this. Well, I mean, it's like if I don't go to church or something, and, or if I don't read it, like there's grace, right? There's grace. Like it's not like I'm going to go to. And I just said, hey, why are we always applying grace to stuff we don't have to do? Why is grace always connected to, well, I don't have to do this because there's grace? Like I don't think that's the way God meant grace to be. I don't think grace is supposed to be, well, I'm not, I don't have to do this because of grace. Like, why are we connecting it to what we don't have to do? So we had this great conversation. I was like, we're going to come back to this because that's not what we're talking about. But it was a good conversation. It was interesting that we, re and we realized that, you know what? We really don't understand what grace is for real, for real. We've heard the typical modern evangelical American tropes. Unmerited favor, those are all true on one level, but grace is far more comprehensive than that. But grace works. Grace works to reward. Brother and sister, if you are not motivated by rewards in heaven, and to my shame, I, haven't, I wasn't for a long time. 
I just wasn't. I just didn't. I actually would be like, no, nah, I ain't trying to, I don't want to earn nothing from the Lord. I was trying to be humble. And you know what? I just was insufficiently motivated. I was insufficiently motivated. Because a lot of times people don't see what we do. Even as a pastor, I'm grateful for the, the anniversary day, so the honor and all that stuff. I'm grateful for that. But a lot of, I just read a stat that what, 70-something percent of pastors are leaving ministry? Despite the fact that giving is up, the morale of pastors are low. Because you just don't, people don't see what you do. They don't think, they don't think you go through nothing. Well, they talk about what you go through is that, that that helps you. Or they say stuff about you to other people and make it seem like they just want prayer. It's like, this gossip and slander, bro. You go through all this stuff. Nobody knows what you go through. And so when you're trying to do things and then you don't even get any credit for it because people are, you get discouraged. Any, all of us do that, right? Because I'm insufficiently motivated. This is about the Lord. It changed for me a couple years ago when I read 1 Corinthians 4. When Paul said, I'm paraphrasing. It's the Kurt ex-gangster translation. Paul was like, look, man, I'm not really tripping off any of y'all. I'm not tripping off anything that y'all say. He said, I'm going I'm to see what the Lord says. That doesn't mean I'm not guilty of nothing, but I don't care what you say right now. I'm going to just do what I do and hold out for the Lord to give his commendation. And I was like, you know what, Paul? That's it for me. That's what I need. I need that type of smoke. I need to just be like, you know what? Let me honor the Lord. That doesn't mean I'm not sinful. Or at times, I'm not going to, what I'm aware of, I'm going to go after, but I'm not going to be beholden to, and I think like, that was freeing for me. And I realized like, no, there's, and he didn't say judgment from the Lord. Look it up. First Corinthians 4, verse 1 through 3. It's commendation from the Lord. That's reward. Paul was like, man, I'm not even going to worry about it. Whether you all respect it or not, I'm going to just do what I do. That doesn't mean I'm not guilty of things, but I'm going to let the Lord say, this is what you did, this is what you didn't do. I think all of us should be like that. We need to be motivated by rewards. And lastly, the reason why is because when we're not motivated by rewards, we often think the Lord is displeased with us. And we kind of walk around feeling like some of our some of the depression that Christians go through is more connected to not feeling loved by God or thinking that God loves them. Mm -hmm. Judging just by your circumstances and not realizing that, hey, God may be allowing these circumstances so that you can actually press in, and he plans to reward that. Some of the sadness and the lack of joy that we have is not because you go to the wrong church or because of your circumstances. Man, you can be, you can be good in any circumstance but you got to have the right perspective. And some of us just don't, are not on fire for the Lord. Don't be on fire for the Lord in this church. Just be faithful to the Lord. I'll settle for that. Because fires get distinguished. Faithfulness perseveres. Be on faithful for the Lord. That can happen because of perspective. So there are times I'm like, man, Lord, I feel like nobody cares, but you do, and... That's what matters to me. And all of us feel like that sometimes. You do stuff for your family. They don't care. You don't get no encouragement. You try to do something and people don't even recognize it. The baby won't stop crying even though you like, stop it right now, we in church. That baby doesn't care. We all just feel that way, right? We all feel that way. But if you're motivated by like, no, nah, the Lord is going to reward us. He's going to see this. Let me be faithful this is how I'm going to act because it honors the Lord. 
This is how I'm going to act. This is how I'm going to act because there's rewards for us. Be motivated by rewards in heaven. If for no other reason, because Jesus commanded it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, for some of us, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. But for others of us, this isn't just how we think. Whether we've been trained to think that earning is somehow wrong, or we just don't think about it at all because, quite frankly, our treasure is not in heaven. We don't even know how to think like that, how to imagine that. Lord, I pray that praying verses, stanzas of your prayer in Matthew 6, slowly, Help us to think, to put eternity first. Help us to, if, 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 that's the, if that idea serves people, it works for me, to take fruits of the Spirit and, 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 and associate particular actions that I'm doing to, I'm doing it for this reason. I'm doing it for this reason. It reminds me that my works have a particular biblical focus, and I'm reminded that you reward that. Lord, I just ask you for forgiveness for all the times I felt like I don't want to be rewarded. I'm just trying to do this thing as if, and then I'm insufficiently rewarded. I'm insufficiently motivated. Lord, you say to be motivated. You said that our, my treasure has been here so long, it's been at the click of a button for too long. May it be in a destination that I haven't seen. You know, I don't have to imagine everything about heaven. I just have to believe what you say about it. So, Lord, I just pray if anyone else is here, if anyone else in this room is there, help us, Lord. Help us to be very specific to what be added, the attitude you want us to be. Help us to attach particular works and thoughts and actions so that this is why we're doing it. So we remind ourselves we're not just doing it to be good people. We're not just doing it because we don't want people to think a certain way about us. We're doing it because it, it is a fruit of your spirit. It is, it is a characteristic of what eternity, people who are in eternity are like. Because ultimately, we want to be with you. We want to see you. How dumb would it be for us to play around with you in this life, stand in front of you, think we're going to make it, and find out we didn't? And there's no, please forgive me then. There's no my bad. Help us to be motivated appropriately by your word. And where I'm wrong, Lord, reveal where I'm wrong. Reveal where I'm wrong, Lord. My emphasis is wrong. Reveal it. But may it be revealed through your word, not through what some theologian said. I don't care what any theologian said about grace or works unless I can see it in your word. And may that be the standard for all of us. Lord, you have rewards for us. We are co-heirs. We get part of the inheritance that you were given. It's your desire to give us that. May it be our desire to receive it for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that, that sermon, bro. We got a, a couple questions in here. Can somebody bring me a cold water? Somebody has a cold water? It's unopened, too. <laughs> you know, sometimes, I know. <laughs> sometimes you got you know, to be specific. 
people just, like, here, Pastor, uh, nah, can you give me a new? I don't want to be rude, but thank you for getting it, but I, cold and unopened would be beneficial. Mm. All right. So the first question, uh, Pastor Kurt, is a two-part. Yeah. Um, the question is essentially, uh, to what extent uh, should our motivation in serving others or obedience in general be to store up treasures in heaven? Um, and the second part is, if that is the primary motivation, wouldn't that make it self-serving? Uh, yeah, I anticipated this question. And so I think I'm going to ask, and that's a great question, so I'm going to ask a question with that question. Why do you think Jesus told us to be motivated by reward? Why did he tell us that? Like, I didn't, this isn't what I'm thinking. This, the New Testament is filled with be motivated by reward. Paul told Timothy, remember 2 Timothy 4? He said, man, my life is being poured out. I've, I finished the race. I fought the good fight. And there, there, were, there, there were waits for me a crown of righteousness, right? But not just to me, but to all who loved his appearing. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want, I, this is what I think. I think we try to get so particular and nuanced. And again, don't get me wrong, it's a good question. But I think we try to get so particular to get it right. Just get it wrong, right? Just, and, it, and what I mean is we try to be so specific about, well, how do I know? First of all, just grow in being motivated by rewards in heaven. Let the Lord explain to you, like, let, let him deal with that. Like, many of us are just not even motivated by that. And I don't know the, the dynamic of, well, is this? I just know the New Testament is littered from Jesus' own mouth on multiple occasions, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We've read a ton of scriptures where he lays out, if persevere to the end gets this. I, I don't know if it's selfish ambition to, from God's perspective, if I'm doing things to receive a reward when it's what his word says. So I personally, I'm, this, I'm not right now for me, right now, right now. This is right now as of right now. In the Greek, right now means right now. I'm personally not going to worry about that. I'm more on the other side of it where I haven't trained myself to be motivated by rewards in heaven. And I want to know what that feels like for a longer duration than what I have. So I, I'm not worried about if it's, the Lord will deal with it if it's selfish, but I think because he said repeatedly, like, this is what you need to do, I'd, I'd rather do that and deal with some of the nuances another time. Because I just don't know if you're going to have them. I can't give you the formula like, well, say this three times and, do, you know, I just don't know. Some stuff might be selfish. I'm sure there's going to be things that I did that was selfish ambition. The Lord's going to say that, but I, I hope and trust that there are going to be many things that he said, no, that was because you were trying to honor me for real. And so that's always going to be a part of it. We're just, we're flawed in this life. We're not Jesus, but we can try to imitate him, though. So that's what I would say to that. Good question. The next question um, is, um, are there any verses or, or comments that could, you know, quickly summarize uh, what, you're, what you're bringing up as far as legalism and this sort of works versus grace paradigm? Um, to help, you know, uh, in conversations like outside of Solid Rock, right? Legalism is a bit of a, so it's a big deal. And what you just preached was a, a paradigm shift, right? According to this person, how would you uh, recommend they, they, they talk through those with family members and whatnot? 
Man, that's a that's a good question, but let me tell you why it's a tough question. So here's the easy answer. Tell them to listen to the sermon. But <laughs> let me tell you why that's a tough question. Because I don't know the theological maturity level of the people you're talking to. There's a big difference in trying to explain things to a non-Christian, an unbeliever, or trying to explain things to someone who was in the church but then backed away from the church or grew up in the church to someone who's never heard it before. Those are totally different strategies. It's harder to talk to people who grew up in the church and who don't care about it anymore because everything that you tell them connects to their historical experience. And so it becomes, so, there's that, so that's a hard question to answer. I would say if you, wanna, if you want the, with the Bible, then I would look at Romans 3 through 5, and I would look at Galatians 3 and 4. Those are, those are complicated arguments, so you've got to know how to navigate them. But Paul is laying out that dichotomy of works versus grace a lot. What I did was I'm taking that and recognizing, yeah, this is why I said it's a tough question, because I think even a lot of pastors they, 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 so you got this spectrum, right? You got pastors who will teach the Old Testament like it's for us today. They'll be talking about promises made to Jerusalem, like God is going to get you. It's like he wasn't talking to you, like there are promises that, that was to, that was to Naaman or whatever, to somebody in the, that wasn't to us, but they'll teach it like that and people be fired up, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm counting, my, I'm getting my blessing. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what that means, but I mean, it's. Remember the, remember the prayer of Jabez? Remember that, remember that book blew up? Because people believed that like, if you just pray like Jabez, you're going to get what he got. And the, the author of the book did, because that book sold a couple million copies. But all the people who prayed it did not. They're looking for the prayer of Jabez, part two, right? So I think at times you're dealing with people who take the Bible and use it and apply it in ways that that's just like, there's no, there's no life in that, right? So, so the theological spectrum is tough. I, I think if you're here, you want me to give you a way to try to explain it to people. I will, the context of who you're talking about, that would be helpful because this is a different way to say it. Is that the Bible is not one size fits all. I mean, look at the book of Acts, right? You get Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching to Jews specifically, and he uses the book of Joel. The book of Joel and tells them and convicts them about Christ, and they, they respond. Chapter 3, he's on Solomon's porch, right? He uses some theological stuff that they, the Jews, would understand, right? Then you get to Acts 7. Stephen does a biblical theology, takes it all the way back, then calls you stiff-necked. That's what got him killed, you stiff-necked people. It was like, man, who you? So it was like, so don't call people stiff-necked. We want to see you back next Sunday. Then you get, you get Paul, Acts 16, doesn't even mention Jesus, very philosophical. Let me, this is the culture, these people like ideas, let me, let me tell you about that unknown God altar that you have right there. Doesn't say Jesus' name, doesn't use the word repent, none of the stuff that we typically would say. But he preaches to them and gets their attention, right? Then you got Acts 26, Jesus in front of, I mean, Paul in front of King Felix. Shares his testimony. Look, man, you know me. I was, you know me how I was. I was doing this, doing that. Met the Lord on the road, and he, and he was like, what, so you think you're going to convert me by your testimony? There's so many different ways you present truth, and who you're talking to will shape how you present it. So if you're here, come and talk to me because I need more context because it's just a tougher, it is a paradigm shift. But sadly, it's a paradigm shift. Though. That's actually the sad part to me is it's a paradigm shift. And that's because I think modern American, I think Christians have been trained to not be Bereans, to just kind of chill, hear messages. I could, 
I hope y'all go back and whatever I say, go look at it and show me, go in the word. But tell me from what the word says, not how you felt about it. Because that I won't, I'm not changing nothing because of how people felt. But if you can show me from the word, oh, I was okay, yeah, I'll, I'll come back up here and say I was wrong. I don't say anything unless I can back it up by scripture. But you, but I, you got to look at the word. We listen to what people say too much. We watch these YouTube passes and be and like what they say because they and they entertaining. You know, you don't got truth doesn't have to be entertaining. You know, you can. There's a lot of YouTube passes that are blowing up that are just wow. When I watch them, I'm like wow. My church is trained enough that they would be like, what was Pastor Kurt talking about? And I'm glad. I'm glad I can say certain things. If I, never mind. Yeah, I just think study your word and, and but if you're here, talk to me. Talk to me. Thanks, bro. Uh, third question. This is another multi-part question uh, from the, the Grace Works paradigm you laid out. Um, is inheritance really about works? Isn't an inherit an inheritance something that you were given? Are the rewards earned separate from inheritance? So the inheritance is given to Christ because of what? What he did, right? Sure, we're given an inheritance because of what we believe, but you can't believe genuinely until you do things to show that you believe. So on one level, we can parse it out that, yeah, the inheritance and works are different, but the inheritance, remember Matthew 7, didn't we do this in your name, and didn't we do this in your name, and didn't we do this in your name? And they say, I don't know you, right? So there are people who are doing things that look like, but like they didn't work on their character, right? They had these works, but not the work of the heart. They weren't working. So there is a place where, Sure, there's an inheritance that you could say is separated from rewards, but unless you show those works, you don't get that inheritance, right? Now, if there's some genuine faith, like we saw in 1 Corinthians 3, well, you don't get many rewards, but you made it to heaven. So there's that dichotomy, but I think even if there's a fine tune between inheritance and rewards, ultimately, we receive things from God by the works that we did here. We're not the thief on the cross. That's not our lot. We're not people who can't do anything. We're people who don't want to do some things, which is okay, that's there, that's there. But we're not people who can't. So, I, so even if that's a nuance, it's a fine tooth comb. You receive, we'll receive from God because we had faith in Jesus and then we did things to prove that that faith was genuine. It's a package deal. But, 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 but one doesn't say, like we walk through it, right? There's certain works without faith in Christ, you can't, you can't get to heaven. You just can't. Even if you feed, even if you saw world hunger, God says, nah, that's, is it? because the motive there, it wasn't about glorifying me. I did not send, God did not send Jesus to die so that we could do things that have nothing to do with him. Like he didn't send Jesus to die. So when our lives have nothing to do with him, He's like, cool, that was your decision. Here's your reward. Not with me. Here's your reward. Not with me. Remember what Jesus said in Revelation 22? Let the thief keep on stealing. Let those who are washing their robes in white, let them keep doing that. And when I come back, I'm repaying everybody for what they've done. So I think, yeah, maybe there's a distinction fine-tuned, but I think I'm not thinking of, well, I get this inheritance, but then there's a reward. It all is a package deal on one level. Yeah, we could get theological and nuanced this and be like, yeah, but I don't want to play the game of thinking I'm going to get a reward. I'm going to, I'm going to get an inheritance, but I don't got no obedience to go with it. Mm. 
And we're not talking about obedience like, well, when I first got saved, I was on fire for the Lord. We're talking about like, nah, my life, throughout different points of my life, there is a, it's still there. It's consistent. It's still there. Like when I die, I don't want nobody to be like, you think he made it? Man, I don't know. You know how when people, when people ask, when we ask somebody like, you think they made it? I don't know. I mean, they made a profession of faith. You know why most people say, I don't know? It's because they ain't seen no works. They ain't seen no works. Because there are people we think went there, they showed works, but didn't, got, didn't have no faith. So they ain't really make it. But it's like when people say, yeah, I don't know. What they're saying is, man, I ain't seeing that. They said they was a believer, but. So you're trying, you think it's loving to be like, yeah, I mean, you know, I was, you know my uncle. I, so I can hope that they're there. But it's like, uh. You know, when I do funerals, man, I just, I, I dance around the issue. <laughs> and what I mean is, I'm not saying they're in a better place. they with the Lord right now unless I know. So people don't be asking me to do no funerals because I ain't going to be like, I ain't going to make you feel good. They're in a better place now. Man, I've been to funerals where I knew to do. It was like, man, if you with the Lord, and I'm getting ready to do all types of sinful stuff. Because if you made it, then I know I can make it. It's like, ain't no way you made it, bro. No way. I'm not even trying to be judgmental. It's like, look, man, you judge a tree by the fruit that it bears, right? It's some people like, man, you can say whatever you want. But they made a profession of faith. Man, Jesus said, look, Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We got to stop pretending like that doesn't apply today. It's people that honor Jesus with their lips, but they're not really tripping. And if you go to this church, you will not be able to stand before God and say you weren't told otherwise. You will not. We'll love you. We'll hang with you. I'll chill with you if you want to be. I'll, I'll be there for you. People in this church know I will be there. I'll hold on to your leg and try to pull you out of the fire. I'll do whatever. I'll do, I've been doing that for 15 plus years, but I can't change you. And I'm not gonna stand before God and feel and be and feel like if we said it and we doing it, but it's, I just think, yeah, I just I just think we gotta be careful. I think we have to be, and I'm being serious. I think we have to be careful. I think whether it's COVID, whether it's, I just think we've gotten a little bit slack in our reverence for the Lord. And He gave us some back in the Supernatural Storyline series, but we're not there yet. We gotta keep going. I think we just, we got, we, we use grace by, well, like, I don't have to do this because there's grace. I don't think that's the way the Lord intended it to be. And so, at least for me, I'm not going to use it like that. And if I hear you, I'll try to be like, I wouldn't use it like that. So, you know, like, we just don't know. It's more, I think, it, I think there is grace and there's excitement and there's, we can do, but I think it's scarier than we think. When First Peter 4 said, man, look, he said, the righteous is scarcely saved. He said, if the righteous is scarcely saved, he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What are you fearing and trembling about? There's grace, right? Because there's grace, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I just think these are tensions that we can't pick one or the other. I just accept both of them. So. Gotcha. We, we got a few more Um yeah, we can do it. The kids took our time this morning. There we go. <laughs> Say less. Hey, I loved it. My kids are just too old to be doing that. Mm. It would be wild to see my sons in there doing it. Okay. I'd actually been terrified. <laughs> <laughs> How do you balance your time between striving for rewards in heaven and taking care of what you have to take care of here on earth? I don't see why they're mutually exclusive. 
I don't think they're mutually exclusive at all. I just think be obedient in those things you're rewarded for. It's not like these things you get rewarded for and these things you don't. Remember in Matthew 25 when he was like, when he said, look, he separated the sheep and the goats, and he said to the sheep, like, look, those of you who you fed, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me this. You visited me in prison. They was like, when did we do that? And it was like, when you did it to these people, you did it to me. Like, the Lord evaluates that. He's not separating, like, okay, these are the works for rewards, and these are just on my job. I got to turn in this. No, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 all, it's all, this is why I was saying, like, take what you do. So let's just say that's like your job. You might have one of those people where you just separate your job from your faith, right? But you have responsibilities on your job, right? So you have to be faithful on your job, right? So you could just be like, man, you might be not feeling like doing work or whatever, and you're like, you know what? Nah, this isn't being faithful. Let me be faithful. It might just be something on your job, sending an email or doing whatever, don't you? But it's a part of being faithful, right? Or this might be, man, my coworker just gets on my nerves or whatever. I don't even like these people for real. It might be like, all right, let me be gentle towards them. Let me be gracious. Let me, let me try to serve them and because of that. Yeah, some people here, that's a tough one for them. Talk to me after. I like my coworkers. But there was a time, whew. I remember I worked, I remember I had this job. It was my first corporate job. It was down in Bethesda. First corporate job. And I was, um. It was called DAI. It was a Development Alternatives International. It was a global economic consulting firm. My first job there. My boss was just an unappeasable woman. You couldn't do nothing right to her. Hi, why didn't you say hello? I mean, just one of them type folks, you know? Just like, <laughs> we'll go behind you and check and see if you didn't do something and then tell your supervisor, stuff like that, right? So it was very difficult. That was my first time I was like, this is a different environment. It's corporate. Few people there look like me. And I think I, think I had cornrows back then, so I was really standing up, right? <laughs> and I remember when I was putting in to leave, I was leaving after nine months, I was like, I'm going to move on. And this job, this company had 174 employees. I remember because of the email chains. It was 174 employees. And when I left, when I put in my, in the, sec the day before my last day, I was shocked that 150 of the 174 employees all said, we're going to miss you. We loved you. We loved what you did. We loved you being here. If you need references for anything. And that, for me, was validation. I was like, thank you, Lord. Because this one made it seem like I'm incompetent. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not getting my work done. And I was like, I'm a new Christian. I'm new. <laughs> so I'm like real close to the streets. <laughs> I don't got the same self-control to not say something that I do now. So I was like, but the Lord taught me. I learned. Let me just try to serve this woman. Hey, how you doing? I did not enjoy saying hi to her, but I did it because I was like, it honors the Lord. Hey, how you doing? Do you need anything? No, I don't. Okay, try to make her laugh. I could make her laugh, too. She'd be laughing. I'm like, okay, good. Then I get an email two hours later. Hey, she said you didn't do these three things this morning. That's because I was in her office joking around. What you mean? <laughs> she was in there cackling. Just, All right, I'll get it done. Yep, thank you. <laughs> I will get it done. So I was like, wow, Lord. I just must have. I was like, man, Lord, I wish I would have honored you more here. And then he gave me 150 emails of people that said, we're going to miss you, bro. And I said, thank you, Lord. So that stuff is it's just, so I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think everything we do, God's watching. The motive for why we do things, God knows. So I'm trying to shift what I do connected to 
some fruit of the spirit so that it's connected. I just don't think they're mutually exclusive. Good question. Sorry for the long answer. It's just, I'm in the zone. Can you lose the treasure you have in heaven? 100%. That was 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, second, Timmy, second, Timmy, uh, second John, he said, look, 1-8. He said, look, the, maybe, maybe we get the full reward. I think, I think all of us probably will lose something. I'm sure there are things that I did that were more selfish ambition than godly ambition. I'm sure. I can probably, I even named some. I just knew I'm just doing this because of this. So I know the Lord's going to be like, yep, you already know, Kurt. I think we're all going to, some, some stuff is just going to burn up. I think we're all going to lose something. I, I believe that. I don't think, the only person who's got everything is Jesus. I think, I think we're all going to lose something. But I think all of us should receive something too, though. And even for stuff that you don't even realize, this is what the Lord is like. I'm, not, I'm just doing this. The Lord was like, yeah, I, I saw that. You were doing that to me. I think some of us are going to hear that. So, yeah, I think you can lose some rewards. Depends on what you mean by rewards, though. But I think, yeah, I think so, 100%. I think that's the whole point. To the one who conquers, I will give this. That's the, that's the requirement. But it's just not how we think. We've been trained to think like, no, no, no. You can't earn your... I ain't saying you can earn your salvation, but that contextually is talking about the Mosaic Law. It wasn't talking about trying to be faithful here and then you're earning something. That's, I don't know. I don't see it, but what do I know? All right, so we got one more question here, um, and that question is, uh, how slash does earning rewards correspond uh, to us casting our crowns before God at his throne in heaven? I anticipated this question, too. And I felt like when I was praying this morning, the Lord answered this question for me already. So now I know it was the Lord. Here's the thing. The 24 elders, as far as we know, they were created and given those crowns, and they sit in heaven. So on one level, they didn't do anything to earn those crowns, as far as we know. But you did, though. The rewards that you and I do are given to us by obedience. Are we going to cast our crowns in heaven? Sure. We, nothing would happen apart from Jesus. But I think the 24 elders, that scene is just about the reality of worshiping Jesus. It doesn't mean that the rewards that are given to us are meaningless because of Christ. But as far as we know, those 24 elders are part of the divine counsel. They weren't human beings that we know of that honored God, were given this place. Now we know that the 12 gates were the 12 apostles. They, the Bible says that they're going to be ones who sit on thrones and stuff, but they were, they were on earth. So as far as the 24 elders and them casting their crowns, I don't think that has anything to do with us being motivated by rewards. That's a motive of worship in and of itself. But as far as we know, we don't have any other biblical picture, but they're just in the throne. I don't I think they're created beings by God, given that position as divine, like angels and other creatures. And they didn't do anything to get those crowns. They were just given them. But the rewards that you and I get are for when we're faithful, when we trust God, even though we haven't seen him, even though we we're struggling right now, even though I don't want to obey him and I do it. Those are what the rewards are for. They're, they're for faith. They're not for, so I, I, so I don't think the 24 elders and them casting their crowns has anything to do with us being motivated by rewards. 
And I mean, I would imagine they cast them and then pick them back up and then wait till the next time they cast them. I don't think they have those crowns to just throw them down. I think them throwing them down is recognizing worship. When we're in heaven, it's not like if the Lord gives you a home. It's not like, all right, we're going to tear the house down because, no. Nah. It's just we're going to stop and worship the Lord and then continue in the grace that he's given us. So I don't think any, the 24, that scene in Revelation, you know, 4, I don't think that has anything to do with receiving rewards. The Bible does not make that a connection at all. It's like, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said it. I believe it. I'm trying to do it. And I'm telling y'all to do the same. Amen? All right. My mouth is unusually dry. Have you ever tried to eat one of these wafers when your mouth is really dry? That joint is like a form of torture. It's something I would give up all the secrets if I had if I had to do that. These joints, I don't know if we got to get some newer ones, but I'm glad that these remind us of what Jesus did. And then that's it. Yeah. That was all gluten-free? They're not gluten-free? So would they be better? They're the non-gluten-free ones? Oh, for them to take this one? So we got to get the non-gluten ones for the people who don't have it. So what about how they, how they feel? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just trying to be the devil's advocate. That's a figure of speech. <laughs> don't touch the Lord's anointed. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for just your grace. And we thank you for, for the reality of your grace, the grace works, and that you reward us for that. Lord, for those of us that this was a paradigm shift for, help us to remember, if nothing else, that you, you did, you left glory to do works. Everything you did, the obedience, the, the casting out demons, the healing, the feeding people, all the things you did, taught, all of those things were obedience. And we know that because when you were baptized, the Father said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. When you, trans, at the transfiguration, the father said, this is my son, listen to him. Those were works that you did, but the greatest work was dying on the cross, was receiving the punishment for our sins. That was a work. And then you were resurrected. And then you gave us your spirit to continue in work, to be motivated, to have a desire to work. Father, may that be the case for us that your dying on the cross is the epitome of works. It's the greatest work that is ever can ever be done. There's no greater work than you dying on the cross. Your body being ripped open by a whip and, and nails going through your flesh, flesh that you created. There's no greater work than that. And we are to imitate you by dying to our own glory, our own definitions of good and evil. So as we, as, we, as we think about this wafer that we joke about, what it represents is no joke. It represents our eternal hope. And because of that, those of us who genuinely believe in you, we eat this together. And Lord, that same, that same work that we are reminded of, 
that same grace, grace and works, all combined into one explosive moment on the cross where your body was broken and your blood was shed. By your grace, we remember that work and we're motivated to work and we drink this together. Lord, while I am in error, please expose it. I don't want to lead anyone astray, but where I'm right, please plant it in our hearts and in our minds and to take the practical steps necessary so that we can, by your grace, grow for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank those in children's ministry. Thank those who helped with the kids. Love you. See you, Lord willing, next week for our Christmas service.